Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week it's episode 185 and we're talking about what we've learned about taking photos over five years of full-time travel. Yeah, it's coming up to five years. How crazy is that? It's really exciting. I'm so excited. Yeah, I think um, if I worked it out correctly, it'll be next week. But I'm not sure. I think it was February 17th. Well, it depends on whether you count our one-month trip around the South Island of New Zealand. Oh, I definitely do, because that's when we started. Uh, It's already gone then. It's already gone. Holy moly. It's over. It's passed, because we left (laughs) New Zealand at the end of February. And yeah, we definitely left Auckland, I think it was late January, maybe maybe early February. We missed our anniversary. It's okay, darling. <laughs> oh, well. well, I guess next week then we'll do a, uh, a roundup of our favourite things over the last five years. <laughs> Sounds good to me. It'll no longer be our anniversary because typical male, I'm bad with dates. We but, could do the anniversary <laughs> of five years since we left New Zealand. That, that was kind of okay, you know, epic. Okay. Well, enough, uh, enough moaning. What have we been up to this week? <laughs> well, we started the week in Arthur's Pass. Uh, that's where we recorded our podcast last time. And uh, yeah, we spent a bit of time there, and then we drove up uh, past the Pancake Rocks to Nelson, where we stayed the night. Uh, and then we had a kind of a mad rush to Picton to catch the ferry. We, I don't know, we thought we, it was going to take less time than, than it did. We managed well, to get there in time, but it was fun. Yeah. It's basically 100 k's of roadworks. It, um, it did feel that, like that. That, that slowed it. us down a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we had a good trip over on the Inter-Islander. The, the weather was nice, and uh, we managed to talk our way into access to the first-class lounge. So That was meant. If thanks, you ever have the option, <laughs> if you ever, ever have the option to go to the first-class lounge, do it, because there was lunch, there were drinks, Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi was a bad idea for me. <laughs> <laughs> the Wi-Fi was great. I thought it was actually, because you did get um, a complimentary lunch and snacks and drinks, I I was wondering if getting the first class upgrade, like the lounge access, mm-hmm. would be cheaper than buying lunch from the, the onboard restaurant. So, Certainly if you wanted to use the internet, because yeah. I don't know if you, there is internet access for other people apart from... I'm not sure. I think you can. I, th- I buy think it. there is, but yeah. it's it's paper paper uh, megabyte, and it's pretty pricey. Yeah. So yeah, if if you are going and you want to get a well, not a free lunch, get a get a good lunch and use the Wi-Fi, it's definitely worthwhile. And it's quite comfortable. There's more space. There's tables. Yeah. yeah. So um, the reason that we were on the boat at all was that we were going to Wellington for a uh, a board game conference. <laughs> I know. It's how geeky is that? Yeah, yeah, we were there for WellyCon, and I, it was more I, of a convention, really. Yeah, just getting together to play some games, and there was yeah. no conferency stuff. We I just to, all played lots of games. Yeah, I have to take responsibility for this one because I was there for um, the board game company that I run with a couple of friends, uh, Seriously Board NZ, and yeah, we we sell board games online so it's important to to go to meetings like that it's important to play board games (laughs) it was good fun it was good fun don't forget that you can help the indie travel podcast stay traveling by booking through us visit indietravelpodcast.com slash flights slash hotels slash hostels and slash insurance when you're booking your travel online we also have travel deals updating daily at IndieTravelPodcast.com forward slash deals. And you can also visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Amazon when you're shopping online, which helps us a lot. Or get a free audiobook with a two-week trial of Audible through IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Audible. Or slash audiobook. Don't forget the options. Oh yeah, sorry. Options. Yeah. I like options. They're nice. So I signed up to the uh, the Travel Hacking Cartel well, three weeks ago now, I guess, when it first came out. And how many points have you have you made um i'm up to i've got a, a dedicated about three thousand eight hundred something like that 
and I've done other bits and pieces which should bring in another several thousand over the, the next little while. But sometimes you do the promotion and the points don't get moved into your account for like a month or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm tracking pretty well I think. It's it's been good. That's the uh the travel hacking cartel at uh indietravelpodcast.com slash travel hacking. Um the only website I've seen which gives you a like a guaranteed one hundred thousand miles each year. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean that that works out to four free flights a year, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Domestic yeah. in the US or yeah. um that could Probably be something a, quite different if you live in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> could be a very nice first class uh, trip across the Atlantic in any direction. That does sound good. Yeah. Well, this week we are uh, not talking about miles, we are talking about photography. Yes, well, we've been traveling for a long time, as you know, we've just said it five years. And um, during that time, we have taken a lot of bad photos. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure everyone has taken Tens a lot of bad of photos. Thousands. We have just we have problems with data storage, and most of that problem is because we have so many photos and so many videos, and so much of those photos and those videos are bad, bad, like really bad. So you might think we're not the right people to be taking advice from, <laughs> but um, we're certainly not pros, but we have learned a fair few things in, uh, well, just by taking lots and lots of photos over the years. Yeah, I think we take on average about what, 5,000 photos a year? Yeah, that's what we've done for the last few years. Um, our new camera can now do 10 oh, shots yeah. in one second. So you end so. up with 10 photos that are almost the same. Craig yeah. keeps showing them to me and going, which one's better, this one or this one? That's identical except for, like, one hair that's moved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think we're going to have a lot more than 5,000 this year. Yeah, I think we should delete some of those. <laughs> deleting photos i don't know so yeah we we do take a lot but i think photos are i mean we're obviously taking them to publish on the website and share with you but that's what people are doing more and more now they're not only an important part of your your memories to look back afterwards they're actually part of the experience of travel it's yeah. publishing your photos on facebook or Flickr or some other sharing site that's right i mean everyone interacts with them they comment on them you yeah. know Everyone's involved with what you've been doing because you've been taking photos. Yeah. So I guess it, for me, it brings up the issue of how much are you mediating your travel mm. experience and how much are you being in the moment? Because I don't think it's a binary. Like, no, I, no. I hear people complain about people traveling using Facebook all the time. I'm like, um, yes, <laughs> that's a part of modern life is communicating with people no matter where you are yeah it's definitely a scale and you've just got to find where you fit on the scale i mean you don't want to travel and be on facebook 24 hours a day because that would kind of ruin the experience of traveling but if you're traveling and you want to keep in touch then facebook can be a really useful medium Mm. for for doing that and putting your photos up there can be really good because it means that people can be there with you in a way yeah but uh yeah it can be difficult to work out how much you want to do of this yeah i know when i'm in a moment, I, I sometimes kind of grapple with the idea of, should I take so many photos now or should I just experience it? You know, if I just experience it, I'm scared that I'll forget it because I don't have any photos. And if I take too many photos, I'm scared that I won't experience it. And sometimes you won't have very many photos of an event and that's okay. Yeah. Even though it doesn't feel okay. It's okay. It's just okay. <laughs> well, let's talk about a few photo skills that people can use and make their photos better today well i think the most important thing is lighting i mean we've all seen photos where it's just so dark that you can't actually see anything (laughs) or the shadows just cut out half the photo 
or also there's too much light the harsh daylight just kind of blocks things out i think you know you can minimize a lot of this yeah um so it's spending enough time to to look through the viewfinder and look at people's faces and go can i actually see people's face or is the sun behind them blocking out their face that's one of the number one problems i've got with like group portraits especially um Mm -hmm. that we've had over the last few years you get a group of friends together you don't want to stop and do a big pose thing so you run out in front of everyone and go hey guys smile click and click and you look later and all you can see is these black silhouettes <laughs> <laughs> what a nice dinner we had with those black silhouettes company. <laughs> yeah and um well i guess with that the other thing is using flash you know yeah. you can use your flash during the daytime to to get rid of those shadows and that's and right. that silhouette effect but i mean you can also i don't really like using the flash even at night because you end up with just this really white face effect if it's mm. if it's the wrong lighting What I like to do is, um, if I'm taking a photo inside and it's a bit dark, I'll I'll set up the camera and put on a timer and then put it down so that it doesn't shake when the photo takes because it might need to have more time to take the photo. Mm, Like a longer It has a longer exposure. And um, so then it means that when when it takes the photo, it has more time to get the light and then you end up with quite a good photo. But if you're holding it, it'll shake and you'll just end up with a blurry mess. Yeah, it's a good idea. got lots of photos of blurry mess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think lighting, like a photo really is just light. You know, just, mm. And that, that's all it is. So if there's only one thing you think about to improve your travel photography, think about light. Yeah, and, where is the light coming from? Yeah, and, and how is it? displayed on the screen are the shadows in the right places can i see the subject yeah the best thing to do is make sure the light is coming from behind you like the flash will be coming from from your direction yeah then if there's sunlight then you should be standing in front of the sun Hmm. and not have the sun behind your subject yeah well the other thing you can do to improve your travel photography today or tomorrow if it's nighttime or possibly the day after tomorrow (laughs) depending This week. <laughs> no, not next week. This won't help next week, guys. Use it, use it soon. Um, is the importance of composition. Like, where are the things in your photograph? Yeah, I and mean, people do think about that. When you hold up the camera and you look through it, you have to think about it. Otherwise, you're taking a photo of nothing. So you've got well, to no, think about well, What you might do, and what a lot of people do, looking through friends' holiday photos recently, is the subject is in the middle of the photo. Uh-huh. But the fact that someone else's hand is in the bottom left of the photo hasn't actually, like, caught yeah, well, on. No, they've, ta- they've thought about composition because they've thought, I want the subject to be in the middle of my, ca- of my photo. Right. But that isn't the best way to do it. So I think everyone thinks about composition, but they might not use the best techniques. How about we say everyone composes a photo, but not everyone thinks about composition. Okay. Yeah. Happy with that? That's fine. I can yeah. tell you're back in the English language classroom at the moment. Why's that? You're <laughs> getting a bit picky with language. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so look at the lines running through your photos. Are there vertical, horizontal, or diagonal lines of, of shadow, of color, of texture that run through the photos? The easiest Where's the horizon? To see is the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're taking a photo of the sea, that's really easy to see because there's a line somewhere in the middle of your screen. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But this works for, like, portrait shots as well. Like, where's the eye line and the mm-hmm. midline of the face? Um, yeah, windowsills, anything yeah. like that. Anything, any straight lines, yeah. where do they go? Yeah, because that draws weight 
towards or away from your subject. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you get a photo with the, the subjects nicely aligned, well lit, but there's something behind them that's brighter or darker, and it kind of upstages your subject. So you're obviously meant to be looking at a person or a statue or something like that. But you end up looking at the thing behind it. Yeah, because yeah. the the photo's weighted, like the, the lines of the photo run towards that. Yeah. Um, or the colours of the photo run mm. towards that and highlight it. So you have to look at, are the lines straight as well? I mean, if you've got a horizon and the horizon's kind of on a on a big angle, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, people will feel seasick when they look at your photos. So make sure those are straight. Yeah. And yeah, like Craig said, look at where the lines are going. Are they drawing your attention to some other point in the photo? Mm. So something that um, people talk about all the time when they talk about composing photos is the rule of thirds. So imagine the rectangle that makes up your photo and then draw two lines horizontally, equidistant apart, so your photo is broken into three bits, and then do the same thing uh, vertically, so your photo is broken up into nine different small rectangles. So each of these intersecting points are kind of the weighty parts of the photo. So it's good to line people up on the one-third mark or line your horizon up either on the top one-third or the bottom one-third mark. Um, use things in the foreground or the background to, you know, to compose around this idea of nine different squares and the rule of thirds. Yeah, yeah. Just think about the lines and put the lines in your, in your shot on those lines. Yeah, yeah. And um, if you've got um, a reasonably new i guess digital camera you should have the option of turning on those grid lines yeah we've seen a few of those and this is by far the easiest way to get it right um turn it on and if you ignore it that's fine but at least it gives you a chance to line your horizon up straight and think about where the weight falls Mm -hmm. so it's just about being a more i don't know a more thoughtful photographer i guess you could say taking an extra half second before you take the shot to to change angle, to move around a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Take the extra half second and take three photos instead of ten photos, and you'll probably end up with three good photos instead of one good photo. Yeah. So, um, yeah. How many photos should you take? As many as you possibly can, because even if you get 50 bad ones, you still get one great one. Yeah, that's right. That, that's my rule. Linda's rule is stop taking photos. It really depends on what you're doing. I mean... If you're there to take photos, then you should take as many photos as you can. But if you're there to experience something, then take photos sometimes and don't take some photos sometimes. And sometimes you do just need to pick up your camera, click. And if you've been practicing using the rule of thirds, you'll kind of know approximately what will be good. Mm. And of course, you can fix things up later, but it's so much faster, so much faster to take the extra half second and think about it when you take the photo than to take it into um, a photo editing program and fix it up there yeah really 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 especially when you're traveling you don't want to be spending your time sitting in an internet cafe doing photo touch-ups no okay well let's talk about equipment equipment yeah well it's it's often said it's kind of a cliche that the best camera is the one you have on you and that's true but you should probably think about what camera you're going to have on you (laughs) precisely (laughs) it's kind of true but it's kind of facetious at the same time i mean it's better to take the photo than not take the photo yeah but equipment and camera specs do matter so the things to look out for are the speed of the camera how quick will your camera turn on 
and how quickly can it take photos and get ready for the next one. Um, what's the sensor size? Now the sensor is the bit behind the lens that receives the light when you take the photo. And the bigger the sensor, the nicer the photo. It's got nothing to do with megapixels. That's just bollocks. Anything above, say, uh, if you're not doing any cropping or anything like that, even something with 5 to 8 megapixels is fine. If you want to do cropping in post-production, anything above 10 is going to be fine for most people. Yeah. Um, unless you plan on putting your photos on the side of a bus or on a billboard, you don't need much above a 10 megapixel camera. However, if you are thinking about putting your photos on a bus, you might need to invest in something a bit a bit bigger. <laughs> yes, but I don't think we're talking to pros today because um, we're certainly not pros. Maybe they just have a but, big bus. Hey, one <laughs> thing that's really important for, um, for your camera equipment when you're traveling is the build quality of the camera. Is this camera going to survive getting taken on a round-the-world trip? Or uh, is this camera going to survive living in your backpack or in your pocket or wherever else you're going to store it? Because cameras are delicate, sensitive sensitive (laughs) instruments. So you need to find a camera that you think will hold up to your style of travel. Yeah. So let's talk about the cameras that we have had. Cameras we have had. (laughs) Well, we started off with the Pentax Optio W30, which is a waterproof point-and-shoot camera. And... um, it was really cool. It was especially fun taking it into surf or something like that, while people <coughs> on the beach freaked out because you had your camera with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really good. It was great for the underwater shots, and um, we got some really nice ones. And also, I liked the waterproof mode, because if we were out in the rain, we didn't have to worry about it. That's right. Um, especially if we were like up on a glacier or something like that, and everything else was getting wet. You didn't have to think, ah, ah, electronics, like we did the other day, well, the other month when we were in Moine, and we were out, it was pelting down with rain, and I had my iPod with me, and I just thought, it's going to drown. Yeah. It's going to drown, drown, drown. How do we get electronics home during a monsoon? That's right. So that's something you don't have to worry about if you have a waterproof camera. And I think that that was actually more important than being able to take it into the water. Yeah, yeah. The um, the new Pentax is a W90, but reading around the reviews, I understand the W80, the older model, is actually a better camera. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember exactly why, but I was researching that along with the Olympus Mu cameras, which are waterproof, dustproof, shockproof, uh, when we were looking for our new camera. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they're, they're good. They're very robust. They're they're great for travel snapshots and photos simply because you don't have to worry about them getting destroyed. Yeah, if you're going to be traveling somewhere where there's like dust storms, then getting a dustproof camera might be yeah. worth thinking about. Yeah. And if you're accident prone, shockproof might be, <laughs> yes. might be worthwhile. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're going to be throwing your bags around, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, an issue with a lot of these waterproof point and click cameras is you've got really bad optical zoom. Yeah. because, you know, it's it's all in one case. And like most point-and-click cameras, they've got quite small sensors, so you're going to get pixelation and noise in low-light conditions. So we had a lot of bad nighttime shots yeah, that uh, from really that annoying. camera, and that was a trade-off. You know, you're yeah. always trading off the size and the cost and the functions. Yeah. So um, your cheaper point-and-clicks and your waterproof point-and-clicks, you're going to get noisy nighttime photos yep so that camera sadly was stolen when we were in peru uh-huh. 
And uh, so we used our friend Ange's cell phone, which had a two megapixel camera on it. And it was good for taking memory photos, you yeah. know. So now we've got photos to remind us of our trip in South America. Yeah. But really, we, al- we also have no photo essays from South America. <laughs> it's all right. We're going back in August. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Right? There That's we another go. reason they'll, we've got to go back to South they'll, America. They'll come back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we, we didn't have a camera for a while. We ended up buying just a cheap 50 buck camera in New York. We were planning on just having it for a few days because we were going to buy an iPhone 4, which we heard had an, um, a decent camera on it. But we couldn't get one. So uh, we bought me an iPod Touch instead, which doesn't have a very good camera. It has a really good video camera, but uh, not very good, like, real camera. So um, we decided to wait until we found the perfect camera and just kind of look and work on it. And we found it. When we were in Perth, actually, we were doing um, an Aboriginal cultural tour around Adelaide with Bookaby Tours. And um, we said, oh, can we just drop into this uh, into this camera shop? And Hayden was perfectly happy. He's like, yeah, I need to buy something from there, too. And... He, he's the guy who just waited around while we uh, talked to everyone and ended up buying a really good camera. So why don't you tell us about it, Craig? Because it's your baby. It is my baby. It's um, a Sony HX5. And, um, yeah, we've been using this from Christmas onwards. So yeah, it's Craig's from, Christmas present. From South Australia, Kangaroo Island, the, the New Zealand photos that are on the site right now. Uh, they've all been taken with this. And I think it's got a great balance between the, the size of the camera and the the ability and the different shots you can take. So it's a large point-and-shoot. The sensor in it's about two-thirds of the size of a full DSLR camera. So you don't get shots that are the same quality as having a full big camera body with the lens, but you get something that's a lot better than most point-and-shoots, and it's it's getting there, you know? it's It's somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got a GPS, which is great uh, for for travel photos. We'll never have to ask ourselves, uh, where was that photo taken again? Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. we'll just be able to look on the the GPS maps, and hopefully after we've got some more photos from it, we'll be able to do something cool on site displaying them. Yeah, and, and in the um, future, when I take photos of Pevere, I'll know where where it was. <laughs> that's when right. I go to make my Pevere photo essay of Pevere in fifteen countries, <laughs> I won't have to worry about which country it was that's that right. this bowl of salsa was was made. <laughs> yep, you'll be able to remember. That's right. Uh, it's got a cool panorama mode. Yeah, Craig um, loves the panorama mode. He's crazy for it. It's it's good fun. It's good fun. And um, what else does it do? It's really good for wildlife photos, I've found, because it'll mm-hmm. focus quickly and then ping off 10 shots in a second. So we've got great photos of, like, wallabies jumping away or dolphins coming up out of the water yeah. and down again and things like that, um, which you can catch or you can miss. So yeah. for shooting kids and other wildlife, it's it's great. <laughs> You're so nice. <laughs> smooth um if you're thinking about getting a proper dslr camera and the lenses well it really depends on you are you going to be spending a lot of time taking photos do you are you really serious because if you're really serious then go for it but you're gonna have to carry all the gear with you and personally i don't think it's worth it for backpackers because You've already got, you're already trying to cut down as much as you can. Do you need another kind of 10 kilos of, of mm. camera gear? And also gear that if you're doing some activities you want to leave behind and you're yeah. leaving behind two to $5,000 worth of stuff back in a hostel or 
you know, locked up in a train station. Yeah. And it's always preying on your mind, like, will that be there when I get back? Yeah. And it's just, you don't want more things to stress about. I think that you should get a camera that you can always have on you. And then it doesn't matter. You know, we were saying that the best camera is the one you have on you. Well, have your best camera on you and you'll be sorted. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it really depends on if you're going to be really working on your photography. I mean, it could be a hobby that you're working on at home and do certain trips with that. But I think for long-term travel, it just isn't really practical. I've spoken to so many people that take DSLRs with them and then don't use them. And they use their point-and-clicks for 90% of their shots. Yeah. So, um, yeah, something that I've started looking into is hiring cameras for a day or two days. See, now uh, that's a good idea. In a place. And if you've got the budget for it, that can be a... A, a nice trade-off. So I've started looking into that. I haven't yet taken the plunge, but it's something that I'll probably do as I'm beginning to kind of improve my photography. Um, you know, if you're a tech head, you'll know what you're after. But for the normal people amongst us, I found researching gear on Amazon was really, really helpful because there were heaps of user reviews. Uh-huh. And I could read it and go, is this person writing the review taking the same kind of photos that I want to Uh are they the same user as me you know so they're ones where oh yeah I just keep it in my handbag and pull it out and snap photos of the kids it's like right that's not the kind of photography I want so while it's a great camera it's got nine stars out of ten it's not the camera for me you know so it's kind of looking at that kind of stuff whereas the really technical reviews on the the specialist sites it took me several hours of reading to be able to understand what on earth they were talking about. Not and that was, you bought a camera after reading the reviews. No, but, um, you know, I knew, I began to understand what I should be looking for, what mm-hmm. the types of performance was in each price range, um, you know, the kind of issues that different cameras had. And it was really time well spent, but I did start at Amazon. Remember mm-hmm. to shop at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Amazon. <clears throat> and, um, but then I went on to other specialist sites, and we'll talk about a few resources at the end of the show. Um, the only other gear that we're carrying at the moment is a lens cleaner. We've got a, a pen-style lens cleaner, so I can. it, it just looks like a, a thick, short pencil, really. I can brush all the dust off and then it's got a a little bit of liquid on a pad and I can polish the lens. Mm -hmm. So I do that pretty much every day that I use the camera. I do that either first thing in the morning or when I'm about to start taking photos. And it makes a huge difference having a clean lens. I mean, that's the number one tip for dummies. But for years, we didn't have any way to clean the lens in our camera. It's a good point. We just like used a corner of the t-shirt or like a microfiber glasses optical cloth. and uh, yeah. If we even have, remember to clean it. I yeah. mean, so I have we were taking something. photos of the waterfall the other day. Yeah. And um, I was just taking a few photos with my iPod. And I cleaned the, the lens at one point. And you can really see the difference between when, I'd, when I cleaned it and beforehand. Because beforehand there were drops of water on it. And <laughs> all of the photos were ruined. Yeah. And then after that, you could I mean, with water, you can really see it. But... Yeah, if there's just a speck of dust or something, it can make a big difference. It can. It can make a huge difference. Gosh, I don't believe we've been speaking so long. We must be blabbering on like anything. There's a surprise. <laughs> well, let's quickly round up some of the resources we've found most useful when trying to get beyond just 
lifting up the camera and pressing the button to to actually improving and getting some nice shots. Sure. Well, the Digital Photography School blog and forums is a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, DPS for short. So they have three amazing books that we love. Yeah, I've I've bought them all and um, yeah, I've I've read them all. They're fantastic. Uh, number one, pick up Transcending Travel Photography. That is easily the best overview. Uh, whether you've got a point and click camera or you've got a you know a full DSLR, it it's just a great overview, and there are some stunning inspirational shots in there that I just loved. Uh, for more advanced ideas, and great for hitting the next level of non-your photography, then Photo Nuts and Bolts, and also Photo Nuts and Shots, two different books, um, are worth looking into. So it's the same publisher, but a much more general and technical look at using your camera, how all the settings and shutter speed and aperture and focal length and all that kind of stuff works. Mm. Yeah, I'd say that'll be most useful for uh, for people with DSLRs, but it's got a lot of stuff on, on composition and lighting, which... Uh, yeah, which helps everybody. Yeah, and if you're interested in getting into the industry, then um, Matador Photography School is a good place to start. Yeah, I think it really reduces the risk because freelance photography is tough, especially at the moment. Nobody's yeah. got any budgets, but um, it not only teaches you about photography, it teaches you about running your photography as a business mm-hmm. and um, doing all the businessy and marketing stuff, and they've got some leads as well. Yeah, it's about um, three hundred and fifty US dollars for a twelve module course. They do training, running a business, approaching editors, market leads, and community forums. There's all sorts of things there. Yeah, so um, yeah, we'll link to all of these in the show notes at indietravelpodcast.com, and hopefully by the time this is up, we'll have a page at indietravelpodcast.com/slash/photography, which will be the the new home for all our photography advice and articles. Well, having a look on our Facebook and Twitter feeds, uh, on Facebook at the moment, Jessica Spaulding says, do something with the photos after your trip. I know so many people who get all excited about taking pictures during their trip and then just throw the flashcards into the back of the desk drawer when they get home. Or, I mean, it was the same with everyone back in the day when we still had film. I mean, I remember discovering a roll of film, I think it was about five years ago, and I went and got it developed. And it was from seventh form. (laughs) You know, and it was awesome. But I can't believe that I'd never got it developed. Yeah. Wow, Chris says uh, he's been thinking of no longer taking a camera along with him, and uh, yeah, I can, I can understand where he's coming from if he wants to fully engage in the moment. But oh, he keeps a good my, diary. <laughs> my, my memory's so bad that it would not work for me. On Twitter, at uh, Oz Traveller says, change angle, rule of thirds, it's all about light, or read principles of photography, and he's got a link there. Yeah, we'll chuck that in the show notes as well. Well, that's been uh, what we've learned from five years of taking bad travel photos. And uh, (laughs) And hopefully some good travel photos. (laughs) Yeah, there's been a few good ones in there. So hopefully you found that helpful. And uh, if you are interested in hearing more about travel photography, send us an email, mail at IndieTravelPodcast.com, and we'll line up some interviews with, uh, with professional travel photographers and get their tips. All right, let's have a look at what the community wisdom on the site at the moment. Yeah, we've had a lot happening in the last seven days. Um, the Things to Do in Laos post has got a bump. We've been talking about SIM cards in Germany and micro SIMs in South America, so there's great advice there for people taking their phones with them. People are talking about whether or not you should validate your couchsurfing profile. And we've got advice for zapping the bugs in water and goodies for getting to sleep. Hopefully quite separate. separate. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> 
And there's beautiful photos from Spain by Kirsty. Yeah, she definitely gets the uh, the Photos of the Week Award. Virtual thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> so join us at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash community. And if you're looking for those discussion topics, IndieTravelPodcast.com slash forum. And don't forget that you can help the Indie Travel Podcast stay traveling by booking through us. So visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash flights, slash hotels, slash hostels, slash insurance when you're booking online. And of course, there's travel deals updating daily at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash deals. You can also visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Amazon when you're shopping online or get great trial bonuses from our partners. Download a free audiobook with a two-week trial of Audible through IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Audible and get a two-week $1 trial of the Travel Hacking Cartel at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Travel Hacking. For some non-monetary ways of helping us out, tell your friends about Indie Travel Podcast, invite them to our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash IndieTravel or leave a five-star review for us on iTunes, please. So this weekend, we're going to be heading up into, well, not quite up into Northland, which is one of my favorite parts of New Zealand, but we're heading up that way, and we're going to be north of Auckland and uh, enjoying the New Zealand summer. Yeah, we're off to a batch, which is, you know, a holiday home in New Zealand slang. Well, that's us for this week. Until next week, travel well.